0: You're listening to KZMU Moab Community Radio, and the time is 5 o'clock, time for This Week in Moab, the Ides of March. Today on This Week in Moab, we're going to speak about the progression in healthcare of being able to prescribe nature, which, according to LPN and newly minted PhD Kim Allen from New Mexico, is closer to becoming a reality. And for KZMU... I'm Christy Williams-Dunton. This week in Moab, we dive into what science is telling us about the link between science, nature, and your own well-being. While many of us were inside binge-watching TV in quarantine, Dr. Kim Allen wrote a a doctoral dissertation at Sabrook University in 2020 entitled Nature-Based Healthcare as a Social Determinant for Global Health. I'm so excited to speak with Kim today. Uh, You may think you know that walking among the trees on some meandering path makes you feel better, but research shows much more about why and exactly how it does that right down to your molecular system. And so, Dr. Allen, thank you so much for talking to us today.
1: Dr. Kimberly Allen, PhD, not not MD. Right. So, um, yes, I'm an RN, but I'm a nurse practitioner. Christy, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with you and your KZMU listeners. I look forward to our conversation.
0: Thank you. The research is so compelling. Before we dive into that, get into the forest and the trees a bit, uh, tell us how you came to your work. What What were you doing when those questions arose about uh, nature and health, and, and it became your dissertation? <coughs>
1: Dissertation research was prompted by my experience working with the Colorado Atwood Bound School starting back in the 80s and witnessing transformational changes among students, ages ranging from 14 to 72. I noticed that the longer that all of us, the students and the instructors, as we spent time in nature, we had several things occur we had changes in our overall sense of well-being, even if the conditions, environment, rain, storms, et cetera, were adverse, we still came out on the other end feeling better than we did when we started. And then the other transformational piece, which I find incredibly important, is the sense of environmental stewardship, um, a sense of pro-environmental behaviors that occurred as we spent more time in nature, those were the two pieces that prompted me to my dissertation research with the ultimate goal of creating nature based healthcare initiatives as a component for conventional medical care.
0: I was reading a piece called For the Love of Nature, A Shared Reciprocity for Individual and Community and Global Planetary Health. I love the language that you were able to weave and use in uh, some of your, I guess you call it a questionnaire as you're reaching out for uh, more data.
1: So my initial research looked at a population of participants who had been diagnosed with mild to moderate persistent depression just meaning that they didn't have the severe depression of schizophrenia Um, these were folks who were managing their depression through um, pharmaceuticals and or uh, lifestyle behaviors and I wanted to look at in the research if spending time in nature walking for 120 minutes a week improve their overall mental health and did it establish a greater sense of pro-environmental behavior and this was registered through an app through a company called the where people could uh, download on their phone and then someplace in the middle of their walk they would answer a questionnaire um, and that would determine their sense of well-being as well as their sense of um, attachment to the environment and then and I say we, myself and statisticians who are much smarter than I, took the information and found both um, statistical significance and clinical significance in uh, nature, walking in nature as a treatment modality for patients with mild to moderate depression and for increased stewardship to the environment.
0: It, it's really kind of a one-stop shop for so many things. Uh, <laughs> Among the uh, many interesting findings in reading through your data is that a walk is demonstrably better for depression than Zoloft.
1: Yes, and I get so excited when I hear that there are other options that are evidence-based, meaning that science has done the research and shown it to be a viable option that spending time in nature has less recidivism to symptoms of depression than a lot of the, or just to say, the um, pharmaceuticals for depression. Now, again, what's really important for your audience to understand is this is mild to moderate depression. We're not talking about severe psychiatric disorders. I can't speak to that. I can only speak to the mild to moderate
0: well, you also were able to speak a little bit to some therapies that currently exist and the link between nature, like uh, stress reduction therapy, uh, exploring how the landscapes uh, with views of um, vegetation or a meandering uh, curvilinear landscape, why greens and blues seem to do well. I I'm so fascinated by all of it. Can can you tell me a little bit about this uh, maybe maybe starting with evolution and the psychological well being piece?
1: Right. So, you know, humans, we've evolved in nature over the past two million years and it's only been in the last ten thousand years that we humans have moved from this intimate dependency with our natural environments to an urban environment and what we've seen in research is that the more time that we spend in nature the greater sense of relaxation and that gets triggered through our autonomic nervous systems which is divided into our sympathetic nervous system that fight or flight that high adrenaline, always on alert, um, to the second part of our autonomic nervous system, which is the paras- parasympathetic nervous system that helps us to relax into. able to enjoy our environment and to not feel threatened so by walking in a natural environment spending time and I also you know want to say that we don't necessarily have to walk we can sit in a park we can look out a window we can look at um, pictures of beautiful natural landscapes and this will also emote similar chemical and physiological changes in our nervous system where our cortisol that adrenaline that has us all amped up that so many of us are sort of in this the situation now with the COVID-19 pandemic and um, job security and so forth by being in nature it has the capacity to help us have that rest and digest that sense of relaxation that is so needed for our health and immune system One of the things I absolutely love that when we go and we spend time in nature, when we take a big inhalation of these wonderful fragrances, those fragrances are the defense mechanisms of the plants. And the plants emit, they're called phytoncides, and the plants emit this aroma that wards off The bacteria, the virus, the fungi, the archaea, it's the immune system of the plant. However, when we take that wonderful big deep breath and smell these beautiful smells, these aromas increase our immune system by building what we call, what are called the natural killer cells. And these aromas also help to influence uh, the anti-inflammatory cytokines that also promote anti-inflammation because our world under stress is so pro-inflammatory.
0: There are some people who may not really understand the term kind of inflammatory in in the health sense. Uh, Even some people in the um, medical establishment are just uh, sort of coming online with this idea of a kind of psychological stressors as an in inflammatory. Can, can you describe that a little bit?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for clarifying that. So inflammation, which is a, a key word these days, is a response to our environment. We can have acute inflammation, or we can have chronic, or we can have both. An example, if somebody sprains an ankle, your ankle swells up and That is an acute inflammatory response, which is incredibly important for the healing of that ankle that was just injured. Over time, when we take care of that ankle, over a couple of weeks, that inflammatory response diminishes and we go about on our way. So we have to have that inflammatory response, that acute inflammatory response. Now, in comparison, when we hear the word chronic inflammation... That is a disease process. Chronic inflammation is the body's initial response, what it thinks of as an injury, as an assault to our immune system. However, that assault, that injury, continues and continues and prolongs. And it never goes away, but many many times it just worsens. So examples of how a chronic inflammatory response can occur, uh, lifestyle, sitting, if we sit too much, because our body isn't moving, we need movement for healing, we need that blood to move, we need to take those big breaths of, of oxygen. Our diet, um, if we have um, nutrition that is not beneficial to us, our body responds Okay, and fights back, and that's an inflammatory response. Stress, when we have overloads of cortisol and adrenaline, when our body always feels like it's always has to be on alert, that also creates chronic inflammatory conditions.
0: So it's kind of a, a loop then of high alert that seems to be kind of a uh, stuck. The needle is stuck on the record, kind of sending these signals. Is that is that fair?
1: That's a great way to uh, describe it. And unfortunately, our culture has an emphasis on do more, be better, jump higher, don't sleep, work harder. And this emphasis just promotes what you're saying, having that needle stuck on high alert.
0: Mm-hmm. There were so many little markers of um, direct uh, outcome to spending 20 minutes a day even outside, uh, you had a little bullet list. It decreases blood pressure. (laughs) It lowers cortisol, those stress level indicators you were talking about, improving quality of sleep, improving pain control, healthy metabolism, uh, treatment for PTSD, and even lowering the risk of preterm birth. Um, There's so many interesting points there, even... Um even the one about microbiome and immunity, the relationship between soil bacteria and a person's mental health. Um I, I could ask and any number of questions about all of them, but am am I reading it correctly that scraping around in the dirt's actually real good for you? I mean literally <coughs> breathing dirt and getting that into your <laughs> getting that into your lungs.
1: Um, well, yes, everything in moderation, right? Uh, so, the the by breathing in that rich soil compost is my is a great example. Every time we go and dig in the garden, that we dig in the compost, and we don't want to inhale the dirt particles because that's an assault on our, our our lungs. However, the the vaporization of those particles in the air as we inhale them increase our innate immune system um the mycobacterium vacci is a soil bacteria that we see in compost um lactobacillus bifidobacteria i think people are really familiar with those bacteria because we we see them in yogurt and in kefir but but inhaling dirt uh the dirt the the dirt aroma increases our immune system and gives us a sense of well-being and decreases anxiety Mm. so yes let's go dig in the dirt
0: and it's you even mentioned a thing uh that people may have read about without a full understanding people hear a lot about cytokine storms as a response in COVID-19 and what you were talking about with this microbiome uh the composting uh that demonstrated changes in inflammatory response, they they activated the the cytokines in a good way. Um, can you can you break that down for us?
1: Yeah, thank you, Christy. So we have pro-inflammatory cytokines, which are the cytokines that respond um in the virus Covid nineteen, and we have anti-inflammatory cytokines that respond when we're walking in nature. So cytokines have a dual role. One are pro-inflammatory, which, going back to the example of the sprained ankle, which are really important. We need inflammation in those acute phases, but we also need those anti-inflammatory cytokines to help us chill out, relax, and that's what nature can provide.
0: Boy, it's really true. There are so many terms to describe what happens when a person is able to relax with an environment. The, yeah. the language that we use to describe our relationship with the natural world sp- speaks to this cultural worldview of kind of like yeah. being uh, in a dominator relationship with nature. Uh, a, a kind of conquest idea about the natural world and one that's much more based on, I guess I want to say, old, old ways of thinking linked to reciprocity. What do you think that points to?
1: There was re- there's research out of the University of Connecticut that was just published this month, February 2021, and they wanted to look at the individual differences in worldviews about nature and how that is linked to psychological health when coping during a severe natural disaster, such as a global pandemic. And the study wanted to investigate ways in which individual differences in worldviews about humans' relationship with the natural world corresponded to psychological health. They The study used compared United States and Japan. They wanted a, a Western culture, i.e. United States, and a non-Western culture, Japan. And what they found was that when a culture in their, the United States has more of a dominance over nature belief system, now that obviously is not all of us, uh, but when a culture has a dominance over nature belief system, it's much more difficult to find the healing benefits in nature because if we're supposed to be dominant and have control over nature how could nature create this pandemic it doesn't fit with our worldview we're no longer in control and again creates the sense of chronic stress inability to find reasoning and and rationale and that is a stress promoter that is a pro-inflammatory promoter whereas japan the worldview is very different. The worldview about nature is that there is no dominance. There's a integrative, there's a collaborative sense of union with nature and an understanding that nature shifts and changes and the ability to shift and flex with nature allows that cultural belief to find sustenance, health and well-being within the natural environment. So I found this research really, really interesting about cultural beliefs and how we are affected by our our nature response.
0: I'm also very taken by it, and I love any research that uses the word biophilia. You know, we're talking about just being in love with the natural world and with our environment. What were some of the esoteric uh, results of doing this research? Oftentimes, you know, there's a a very straight cause, like you did the dissertation, you became a doctor. What are some of the other ones that maybe didn't belong in the paper, but belong in your heart that you found by doing this?
1: People were incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to explore and to really make a a sense of relationship between their mental state, their moods, and how they were affected in nature. Now, there were some variables if people had experiences prior to going out for their walk in nature that um, could affect their response, such as a family member being sick with COVID or having job loss. Their response To spending time in nature was not going to be as high in terms of um, promoting health and well-being. However, it still created a sense of relaxation that was greater than if they had sat at home. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the other piece that was not put into the dissertation was the use of a medical prescription to spend time in nature. Now again, I work in the medical field, I work in the emergency department, so it's very strict conventional medicine, and I wanted to explore if I could give my patients a prescription to go walk in nature or to go sit in a park for 5, 10, 15 minutes a day, would they follow that prescription? And the qualitative results from the research subjects all stated that, yes, a prescription feels like greater authority to follow the, quote, prescription of spending time in nature and make nature more um, accessible and valuable in their overall health and treatment goals.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that it showed uh, a direct corollary, you know, uh mm-hmm. are there other reasons why we need science to tell us what we feel we already know?
1: Oh, that is the the great question. Um in general it takes scientific research 10 to 15 years to be available in clinical practice or to be available in magazine articles that people are attracted to. And as you and your KZMU listeners know, the healthcare system is entrenched in ways of doing things that are in some cases outdated and in many cases are consumed by what insurance companies will pay for, and are consumed by the promotional uh, money-making, pharmaceuticals, etc. cetera. Now, I wanna state that yes, we need pharmaceuticals, yes, we need conventional medicine, and we also need an openness to new evidence-based, or in nature's case, old evidence-based treatment models. And that's what I hope to bring about with my research and continued research.
0: I I think here about the poetry of a spiral and about breathing in and even what happens when we exhale. Do uh-huh. you do you have any um insights or experiences of reciprocity as you're outside? Do you feel a relationship and if so, how do you describe it?
1: I like your example of the breathing in and exhaling and that to me is a great example of reciprocity. I tell my patients when you go out for a walk in nature or if you're sitting in a park when you take that deep breath and smell those wonderful aromas around you your immune system is getting stronger and when you have your full, complete exhale, and you're breathing out CO2, that creates the food that enables the plant for photosynthesis to continue to grow. And then you breathe back in, and then you exhale. And this wonderful reciprocity of giving and receiving, um, being able to share and be in communion with the natural world around you. It feels incredibly
0: beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need to anthropomorphize it into something like the tree told me to, you know, stop so much coffee. It, it doesn't happen for you <laughs> like that. But <laughs> when... <laughs> thank
1: goodness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know, though, uh, often enough, um, there are people who are complimentary uh, therapists not working in, um, you know, what's called allopathic circles of medicine, that often recommend sitting at the base of a tree and uh, simply letting their imagination um, allow them to uh, imitate the roots of the tree. And what has been reported is that there is a sort of a slowing of the heart rate and a feeling of being able to simply let go, shall I say, of static, so that you're all kind of just a clean signal, you and the trunk. Um, so I thought I would just report that from the, you know, the complementary medicine field, that this is uh, prescripted in its way, psychologically.
1: Yes, and I love that, because Every person that sits on the ground against a tree trunk is going to have a different experience and that is so beautiful. So we can bring all of our individualized experiences for the common goal. Goal meaning health, wellness of ourselves, our community, the planet, the creatures on the planet. So I love those complementary um, approaches,
0: mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, gosh, what was I going to say about that? So it's speaking to a kind of East meets West holism that may be happening in medicine. Do you do you think this is so?
1: I hope it is, and we're starting to see more physicians and providers incorporate nature, incorporate nutrition, which I consider to be a big part of nature, sleep, which is restorative, that enables our body to heal, different types of meditation. You know, there's something out there for everybody. And it's really important to listen to oneself and to follow what works for you, may not work for the next person, and to really follow that lead to see where it goes for your health and wellness.
0: How encouraging, how empowering that it's really right there with uh, as close as our breath, isn't it?
1: That's beautiful. <laughs> yes. And oh. I would even say it is our breath. Mm-hmm.
0: Ah, And our glands and our hormones and our brain and our poor, aggrieved, incoherent heart. It, <laughs> it, uh, all those things can, um, yeah, exhale kind of, can't they, and become coherent? Hmm. Uh, Dr. Kim Allen, I thank you so much for taking some time. Are there any thoughts or you want to direct people to some of uh, the further research or... Uh, organizations that are working with nature. I saw a children in nature network and uh, some suggested reading from the CDC. Where, where do you want to send people for further info?
1: Yeah, I, when I sent you the outline, the suggested reading, the CDC, which I think sometimes people have a sense of um, betrayal by our government, by what's going on. Mm. And I added this program from the CDC. It's called One Health. And One Health is an approach that recognizes that the health of people is closely connected to the health of animals in our shared environment. So for me, knowing that the CDC has this program is really um, hopeful for me. And I really like that. So this is for your your listeners to know that our government really is out there trying. Um, it just doesn't get the media attention that some of the other parts of our government is receiving. And then the Children in Nature Network was started by Richard Louv, who wrote Last Child in the in the Wild, Last Child in the Wilderness, um, and it's a great resource for parents and non parents alike to look to see what the research shows for kids being in the wilderness and in the wilds, and then different resources to help connect. And then a great book um, that's really fun to read is called The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier. And it's a page turner and it's written by Florence Williams.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. I feel healthier just having had this (laughs) phone call with you. It's been a, multi transdisciplinary, and good for my heart, Dr. Kim Allen. Thank you.
1: Christy, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to you and the work that you do, and to your listeners at KZMU.
0: I have become aware of a thing called nature deficit disorder, and through uh, actually Canyonlands Field Institute, whose um, whose offerings are about place-based education, working with kids in the natural environment. And um, and I'm aware that now more than ever, even in a rural area, we have kids that are inside kids, not outside kids. So if there's anything you want to say about, um, anything you've learned about why it's super important for kids to get out and scrap around in the dirt, that might be uh, good.
1: Yeah. Goodness. So, nature deficit disorder was a term that was coined by Richard Liu, and he wrote the book. Let me go over to my library so I give you the correct name. He's written several books, but it came out in his book, Last Child in the Woods. So, and I had said in our interview, Last Child in the Wilderness, mm-hmm. or, but it's Last Child in the Woods, and he coined the term nature deficit disorder. The importance for kids to be outside, oh my goodness, where do you want to even start? There was a study that was a longitudinal study, meaning it was done over decades, of children's in, children in the Philippines, and they had the interventional group, meaning the group that they, the interventional group of, of of kids who were the ones who grew up in a rural community on a farm, digging into. Digging in the poop, cleaning the poop, you know, eating the dirt, being farm kids. And then the control group, the group that they compared them to, was a group of city kids in the Philippines. And they followed these kids into teens, into adults. and They looked at how or what if, right? They didn't know the answer. They wanted to know, were there any health discrepancies between The kids who grew up on the farm on the ranch versus the kids who grew up in an urban environment and they did they found that the kids who grew up digging in the the pig poop and the cow poop and riding the horses and digging in the dirt had a stronger immune system than the kids who grew up in the city so how did that immune system strong immune system manifest the kids in the city had increased respiratory disorders the kids in the city had um, uh, more eczema with atopic dermatitis. The kids in the city had um, uh, were more vulnerable to colds and bacterial infections than the kids that grew up on the farm. So that I think is a you know a good research-based example of why kids need to go play in the dirt and be outside. And then there's so many other pieces of it, right? It, it creates a sense of creativity. It creates a sense of art, um, it creates a sense of relationship. And, you know, going back to pro-environmental behaviors, when you talk to environmentalists of every field, uh, they talk about how they, as children, were exposed to, you know, camping or Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, spending time in nature. How that and those experiences were so um, seminal in their lives that that was what promoted them into environmentalism.
0: And not to mention the the contact with animals, providing opportunities uh, for for a multitude of understandings right
1: yes i mean for children absolutely creating relationship i mean there's the the psychological psychosocial piece and then there's the physiological piece yes the micro microbiome of your dog getting um you know your dog come by and lick you on your cheek that's actually could be really good for us
0: <laughs> well that's a comfort because it happens every day <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. I feel healthier just having had this (laughs) phone call with you. It's been uh, multi-sectional, transdisciplinary, and good for my heart. Dr. Kim Allen, thank you.
1: Christy, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to you and the work that you do and to your listeners at KZMU.